You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English. JT's trying to get me to mess up on the intro, which I is classic. Do that to you. Hey, Kyle. You, hey, JT. How are you? Hey, great. Kyle and JT. Hey, Jen. Oh, hey, Jen. How's it going? Uh, yeah, doing great. Doing great. I uh, I hurt my neck in exercise today, and I I'm worried that tomorrow I'm, my neck is going to be immobile. That I'm not going to be able to look left or right. What kind of exercise were you doing, Kyle? I was wrestling. Um, not professional wrestlers. I was doing, I, I go to, I do jujitsu and uh, a guy was, a guy was pushing me over. Uh-huh. I'm supposed to roll backwards over my shoulder, but no, I did not. I just rolled backwards over my like head, <laughs> neck. And uh, for a second was doing a headstand and it, it's a mercy that my my whole spinal cord didn't shatter. Uh, <laughs> you didn't just like own the headstand. You didn't just be like, ta-da. <laughs> no, I literally made like an ungodly noise and everybody in the room looked at me because I thought this is it. This is like a Mortal Kombat move and I'm getting spiked on my head right now. Yeah. Um, did you ever play Mortal Kombat, Jen? Oh, all the time. Like I wake up in the morning asking, when can I play Mortal Kombat again? When was your, who was your character of choice? I've literally never even played the game ever. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it Did a video game or is it a, what yeah, is it? Yeah, it's a video. Well, it's a video game. It was adapted into some movies that were just kind of It sounds not so super great, nonviolent and Christian-y, so I'm glad you could bring it up on our podcast. Kind of like First and Second Samuel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> JT, you've play, you played Mortal Kombat. I've not. I know what it is, but I've never played Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You've, I've you really played never Mortal- played it. I promise You've you. never been in an arcade and played Mortal Kombat? Never. Uh, maybe like, like once or twice, like randomly, but never like, I want to go play Mortal Kombat. I was always like the Cruising USA. I wanted to do that. I wanted to do like NBA Jam, that kind of stuff. Yeah, those are good games too. Um, okay, well. Sorry, I felt like it, I thought I started with Jen because I thought, OK, start with Jen. She definitely hasn't played. That's the joke. And yeah. then I would move to you. And then we would talk about our favorite characters. Mm-hmm. But instead, you just left me hanging. So yeah. we're just going to yeah. move forward. Into I've, the got, I've got better Whatever. things to do. Yeah. OK, well, uh, like talk about incommunicable attributes. Boom. Hey. <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're talking about incommunicable communicable attributes right now in this season because we're covering doctrine of God this season. We started off the season really looking at uh, who is God, really talking about the nature of God, uh, who the Godhead is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, God is three in one. That's really what we started with. And then we, we, we moved into looking at the attributes of God. Uh, so let's just remind our audience real quick. What's an incommunicable attribute? How is it different from a communicable attribute? JT, kick it off for us. What's an incommunicable attribute? I've been reading some books about this recently that really helped me understand. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, this is like a Jen Wilkin thing. Jen, I don't know. How, how do you How do you on a podcast <laughs> talk about this while Jen's like looking at you? Uh, no, I, I, I mean, God's incommunicable attributes most simply are the attributes that God and God alone has. He doesn't share those things with his creatures or with his creation. So we'd be talking about things like omnipresence or omniscience or omnipotence, that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, uh, that God is, one of the things we'll talk about today is eternality, that we, we are finite creatures bound by time and God is not bound by those things. But then there's things that God shares with his creatures, that they are communicable to us. So things like 
God is loving and we're supposed to be loving. God is merciful and we can demonstrate mercy. God pursues justice and therefore we ought to pursue justice. And so there are areas as his image bears, Genesis chapter one and two, we are meant to image him. We're supposed to be like him. And then there's other ways where we are not supposed to be and we're not called to be like him. And actually grasping after those things is is some of the stuff that gets us into the most trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You might say that like when we look at God's incommunicable attributes, that God has a closet that's filled with infinite secrets about himself. Uh, but it contains only priceless treasures, no skeletons. That's that's unique to me. Um, Brad, you can clip that for social media if you want. Um, if you did, if you don't know, I'm I'm quoting none like him. There, I've wanted to do it every episode this season. And you um, back, I, man, that was, I waited so- ten episodes to do it, and I, I wish I would have pulled it off more straight than that because yeah. I, I was curious if Jen would recognize the quote, but uh, she did immediately. <laughs> so today we're talking about eternality and immutability. When we think about eternality, we're talking about the reality that God is not bound by time. Mm-hmm. God is not bound by time. Mm-hmm. God is timeless, mm-hmm. uh, meaning uh, he does not exist within the constraints the, or the boundaries of time, nor has he ever, nor will he ever exist within those boundaries. I think that sometimes when we talk about eternality, this is one of those doctrines that can feel uh, so conceptual as to be difficult to find helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just start with some just preliminary stuff. Am I an eternal creature? I hope not. Oh, yeah. I totally got this wrong. I found out I was saying this wrong. So feel great about talking about it now on the podcast. Because I oh, would have said, I would have said, yeah, I mean, we're eternal in the sense that we have eternal life in Christ, but we have a starting point. And so we're not eternal in the way that God is eternal. And then someone right. was saying, well, no, it's not actually even correct to say that we are eternal at all. Would you say that, JT? Yeah. Yeah, I would say it the way you just said it. We are not eternal. Eternal would be completely unbound by time, moving mm-hmm. both forward and, and backward. backward. We're given yeah. eternal life in the mm-hmm. sense of we have a, a, a qualitative new life that God is going to give us the next 500 billion years with them, and that's just the beginning. But we came into existence, and eternality mm-hmm. is telling us that 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 God God not only is is forever moving forward, he's also forever moving backward without beginning and without end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've told people we're not eternal creatures. We don't have eternal life. We are forever creatures. We've been granted forever life. For Forever oh, is hmm. starting point all the way forward, forever, but it does not imply the uh, uh, that there was no origin point. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, so I would say that, no, when we think about eternality, we're talking about something that is an incommunicable attribute of God. Uh, why is this crucial to our view of God? Why is it? I mean, obviously, we think that there's scriptural support, but why is it crucial to believe that God's eternal? Well, if he's not eternal, then he's not ultimately, and he can't... He can't fairly say that he's in control of all things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right he would only right, be right. in control of the things that he's been around for, um, and he, you know, his ties into his self-existence. Like he, he doesn't depend on anyone. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, like, I do want to nuance something that was said earlier. He does not. He does exist inside time. He just isn't bound by time when he is inside of time. So he's both inside and outside, I guess, is the way that I would say it. Because I think sometimes people get confused that he enters into time at various points. Um, But 
he's he's both inside and outside of time in that time doesn't bind him, but he's certainly operating within the bounds of time, however he he pleases. One of the ways that Bavink talks about that that distinction, Jen, is he basically says there's two ditches here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two like, two mistakes that we can make. One mistake that we could make would be to emphasize things like God's transcendence mm-hmm. or his eternality to the neglect of his imminence. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, if you if you emphasize his transcendence or his eternality to the neglect of his imminence, you end up with something like deism. Like mm-hmm. he is the God who creates things and then steps away from time, steps right. away from his creation. We're not that. But on the other ditch, you have God is in the world. God is with the world. God is for the world. Without transcendence, that results in pantheism. God mm-hmm. is basically a one-to-one correlation with being in his creation and for his creation. And so on, on you have these two ditches, and I think we've talked about this on this podcast before, transcendence and imminence mm-hmm. uh, need to be held in tension. His yeah. eternality, his outside of timeness, but also not in the sense of not being bound by it, but also his being the imminent God who is with his people in time and space is the tension that Christianity seeks to maintain and hold. Right. Yeah. And so when you think about it, like, we don't know anybody who's not bound by time. We don't know anybody or anything that is not bound by time. And so it can be hard to think about the eternal nature of God, because uh, we have no experience of something that is not bound by time. Uh, everything we know uh, grows and then declines. You know, there's a lot, we call it a life mm-hmm. cycle. It has a life cycle. God does not have a life cycle. And when you think about how, um, particularly in Western culture, how driven we are by the clock, right? Like we know exactly how much time we have for, you You guys, we know, you and I today know how much time we have on our schedules today to capture podcasts. And there's a point yep. at which we have to stop. And all of the ways in which time um, designates our behaviors, how it designates how many relationships we can have, the length of our relationships, none of that is binding on God. Um, you and I are in a hurry to make sure that we finish what we need to do today. God is never in a hurry. You and I worry about being late or we try to get somewhere early. God does not operate in those terms at all. Um, And so it's fascinating to me to hear, you know, things like um, that at just the right time, he sends a deliverer because you, you can understand if he's not bound by time, how he's able to do things at just the right time. Um, It's a really beautiful doctrine that um, the more you think about it, the more it causes you to worship because it is, it is such a distinct way that he is not like us um, that raises in us a greater awareness of just how bound we are by time. Um, and not yeah. bound because of sin, but bound because that's the way we were created to be. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's not just a beautiful doctrine. It's a biblical doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, uh, I got a couple of questions on social media as we've been exploring this. You know, there are times in which, um, I want to say it like this. Sometimes we look at the whole testimony of scripture and we're able to kind of build out a doctrine, not through any one verse or even the use of a word in a verse, but the building of the concept over the whole of Revelation. For example, you don't find Trinity, the word Trinity in the Bible, Mm -hmm. but it is indisputable that the doctrine of the Trinity is biblical, Mm -hmm. right? So, but you do find eternal. I'm just, the passages we maybe will go to to talk about this will not be the whole of what the biblical case is or argument is for the doctrine of God's eternality, right? Mm -hmm. You could suggest that from Genesis 1, the, at the very beginning, it presupposes the eternality of God in that before there was anything, there is God. But mm-hmm. 
if there was a verse where you're like, oh, I'm kind of looking for a kind of a, I call them espresso shots of scripture. Sometimes they're called proof text, just kind of like <laughs> one verse to go like, oh, there it is right there. First Timothy 117. If you're using the ESV, you'll see King of Ages. That's how it's sometimes translated. I'm using the CSB. I like how it renders it here. Now to the King eternal, mm -hmm. immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So, you know, right there, you get three words in particular, eternal, immortal, invisible, that are all tied to incommunicable attributes of God. Um, we'll cover some of those, like his omnipresence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the source verse for my favorite hymn. Anybody really? Want? Which one? Yeah, a little trivia. Immortal, invisible. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light and accessible, hid from our eyes. And we would sing it every year in the training program, and I was literally the only person in the room who knew it. So it was I painful. knew it. Did you know it? I. That's why I, I put did. it in there. You did. I did not know it, nor did I remember that we did it for years. Yeah, they would do it when I would come in and teach on the attributes. It was like throwing me a bone, and and uh, I just got to sing a little solo. Yeah. Did Maverick City write it? Because if they didn't write it, I'd probably <laughs> Shout out to Maverick City. Hey, if you're out there, Maverick City, holler at me. Holler at me. Or, or don't. Yeah. So, um, but I think about, yeah, I think that's a really great uh, passage. And I think also of, um, and I like how like in that hymn, um, it doesn't say eternal, but it says the ancient of days, which would be another one of those references that we find in scripture um, that's pointing us toward the idea of eternality. Um, and the passage that I always think of is in, in Ecclesiastes 3, like everybody knows the whole, there's a season and a time for everything. So you get all of these time references, time, 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 time. And then there's that passage that says, um, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men, but man cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And, and I like it because it's that contrast of his being free, for, um, free from time. And yet we are bound in time. We have a longing for eternity. That's what that's the way I interpret God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Like we know there's something more than just this time-bound experience that we have. Yep. Um, but we don't even understand what's happening inside of time, much less what God is reigning and ruling over unbound by time. That's exactly right. We've talked about Psalm 92 before also, mm -hmm. but that, that yeah. says yeah, real clearly, he, it's contrasting. The psalmist mm -hmm. is contrasting yeah. God's eternality with the finitude or the boundness of like things like the mountains. Before you gave birth to the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. And we don't need to explore this in depth, but I also think it's important to think about Christ's words at the end of Revelation. This, there's a real Christological import to the eternality of God when he says, I am the alpha and the omega. Yeah. Right. We're not just talking about a, a, like a generic God that is eternal. We're talking about Christ himself, the eternal son of God, reminding his church through, through John that he is the one who is the eternal God, not just mm -hmm. some God out there, but Jesus Christ is the eternal God of the world, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the one who created all things, and thinking back to Colossians, for whom, through whom, and by whom all things were created. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously and to follow in the way of Christ. 
To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at CourageForLifeBible.com. That's CourageForLifeBible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. We have such a hive mind, guys, because right over here on my little notepad, I had the the, the verse in First Timothy, and then I had Ecclesiastes, and then I had Revelation twenty one. <laughs> Man, hey. we are killing it. Uh, okay, thanks well, for sending is, me your it's, notes. It's a, it's a beautiful doctrine. It's a biblical doctrine, and it, it's it's tied logically to the uh, to, to to the next doctrine we're covering, which is immutability. Eternality and immutability are integrally related, mm-hmm. uh, and immutability is what JT. You're smirking, so let's just. Well, go ahead I'm just excited. Get, I'm excited. <laughs> go ahead and say whatever you're going to say. I'm just wondering. I just wonder if you believe what I'm about to say. If you th- oh, well, okay. then say it, and I'll give you. A th- I'll, I'll tell you whether or not I believe it or not. From eternity past to eternity future, God is entirely unchanging. And that's mutability suggests that God can change. The doctrine Mm -hmm. of immutability says that God is unchanging from eternity past to eternity future, even in Mm -hmm. when he, and so he's unbound by time, even in his, in, in, when he is in, not when he is, he's always in time in terms of him being, uh, him being a part of his creation. Again, not pantheism, but holding both of these things in tension that even, even his relationship with us, even his relationship with his church, even his relationship to, to his creation, he remains unchanged. Yes. I you, agree. You affirm That's that? Amen. Mm-hmm. Have you always affirmed that, Kyle? Mm-hmm. I just, oh. you, there's something else that I, am, I have hesitancy with that I don't, I do not think jeopardizes this. We've talked about it at length. We don't have to get into it again. Uh, I don't think having questions about impassibility jeopardizes immutability. But it absolutely, oh, we're not going to do it. We're just going to start so, yelling at each other from across states. We don't I need don't a podcast. Want that. To do I don't this. want we can that just to happen. Yell at each other on the phone. But the baseline of immutability is that God is unchanging. Yeah, right. And, mm-hmm. and he must right? be. If, he, if God is changeable or he experiences change, he sees in the same way. If he ceases to be eternal or isn't eternal, that Jen helpfully pointed out, he ceases to be God. That God, mm-hmm. if he could experience change, at what point does that does the change stop? Could like, what could could his attributes change? Mm-hmm. Could his disposition towards his creation change? Tor- could his promises to his people through the covenants and through the fulfillment of Jesus change? Could he decide to not come back to judge the living and the dead? And so it's really important. The, the reason the immutability of God matters isn't just because we're not saying he's some static God. We're saying he is the good God who is unchanging. And his divine decree to redeem his creation through Jesus is unchangeable because he is unchangeable. But Jen, there are passages in the Bible where God changes his mind. Well, that's what I was just about to point out is how these attributes, all of the attributes that we're going to cover are important Bible literacy building tools. These in particular, I think, take a hit. 
um, especially immutability, because so many people um, perceive that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, or they perceive that the way God's actions are given to us in Scripture are showing that He does indeed go through a process of change. And so, yeah, uh, Kyle is, of course, pointing us to one of the better-known stories um, in the Old Testament. There's actually—I can think of two off the top of my head. Um, one is where Abraham um, seemingly bargains with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and it appears that God is swayed—or if, if you're not giving a careful reading, it appears that God is swayed by Abraham's arguments to spare. Um, the righteous mm-hmm. in Sodom. And then the other one is where Moses uh, intervenes um, with God um, to spare Israel from destruction. And it sounds like he he bargains him out of it, right? Um, but if God is unchanging, and not only that, but as we're going to talk about, if he's omniscient, right, then it, what, there are some things that can't be happening in those scenes. Um, those scenes are given to us in a particular way, um, so that we can like take the main point away. Um, but when we read too much, when we try to make God too human in his function in those stories, um, we diminish what's actually going on. So yeah, God does not change. Um, part of what does not change about God is his mind. And his mind doesn't change and can't be changed because he possesses all the facts. You can't present him with new information. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but he doesn't. Some one another reason that you and I might change is because we are capable of being coerced, um, mm-hmm. and or manipulated, because, or manipulated. And since God is all both omniscient and omnipotent, all knowing and all powerful, He is not capable of being convinced differently or being coerced. And so those two forms of change are foreign to Him. But JT, but in Abraham's story and in the Moses story, God does change His mind, right? No, he doesn't. But it <laughs> certainly it sounds like God changes his mind, JT. What are you telling me? The plain reading of Scripture isn't good enough? Are you I'm on the record as saying right now that the plain reading of Scripture is not good enough, JT? I, I'm saying your plain reading of Scripture is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good response. Yeah, uh, yeah so I, we, we want to we we pay careful attention to exactly what the Bible says. We're not trying to import some kind of doctrine about God that we want to be true, that the scripture would teach otherwise. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible mm-hmm. teaches that God is immutable. And so there's two, um, there's a couple ways to think about this. First, th- there's different kinds of knowledge of God that we can have. And we've we've addressed this a little bit. There's archetypal knowledge of God, that is the knowledge that God has of himself alone. And there's what's called ectypal knowledge of God. That's the knowledge that God offers his creatures that we can have through general revelation, through his creation, special revelation in scripture and in Christ. But that that kind of knowledge of God that we have is also a certain kind of knowledge that, that theologians would describe as being an, uh, anthropomorphic. In other words, God is, as Calvin will say, condescending, lisping to us to speak in ways that we can understand. And so we want to maintain this tension that God is is unchanging because the Bible suggests to us that he's immutable and unchanging while also realizing that the Bible's offering for us pictures and descriptions of God that are using human terminology that we can understand, that are still true descriptions of him, though not contradicting the other portions of scripture that would say he's unchanging. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, again, one of the just basic rules of hermeneutics is you interpret less clear passages with more clear passages. And with immutability in particular, you have there are some very clear passages. Let me just give you two or three real quick. And these passages uh, come with some kind of prescriptive propositional statements, meaning they're, they're, they're kind of declarative in ways that uh, the 
descriptive passages that are more narrative driven, like the story with Abraham and the story with Moses, descriptive passages, narrative passages, you shouldn't anticipate them to always be as framed around kind of uh, clearly making explicit the propositional truth claims that undergird them. That's just not how narrative works. When I tell a story, I don't go, I walked outside. Outside is a place beyond the confines of my home. It is in the greater <laughs> atmosphere. Uh, the The temperature was 77 degrees. It was lightly drizzling. You know, like, you can do all that stuff, but at some point, that's just not how narrative works. So mm-hmm. let me give you a few passages here that you can use that are more clear to interpret some places where it feels like there is less clarity. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Hey, that's pretty clear right there. Mm-hmm. You can look at Malachi 3.6, where it says, "For I, this is God speaking, for I, the Lord, do not change. <laughs> Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I re- basically, he's saying, I don't change. I remember my promises. I didn't forget them. I'm not forgetful. I'm not in a process of eternally becoming something that I wasn't when we started. I know who I am. I am who I am. That's not changing. You could think about uh, all the, the number of passages that talk about the Lord who was and is and is to come. Yahweh, I am that I am is, is really both a description of his covenant faithfulness and his eternal immutability. You could go to Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Mm -hmm. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Like these are past, uh, there's a lot. And I'm giving you a fraction of where we could have gone. Well, and I hope what you're hearing when you hear these passages is the idea that is immediately attached to God not changing, that is intensely practical and comforting to every believer because if God does not change, it means that his promises toward us do not change. Yes. And so it exactly means that right. you cannot, um, he will not change his mind about setting his salvation on you no matter what you do um, between now and eternity. Like he, he, he has already said yes, and he will not revoke his yes. And that's really, really good news. Because if you heard like what in the, in the passage that Kyle read about God is not... Uh, God is not a man that he should change his mind. Therefore, uh, you, O Israel, are not consumed, right? Like we should yep. be consumed because we will continue yep. to rebel against God, um, even on the other side of our salvation. And so people who are concerned about losing their salvation um, can rely on the unchanging nature of God to know that that is not mm-hmm. ever going to be the case. Is deeply comforting. Yeah, that's exactly right. And even... Going tying that into the doctrine of election, we can say that for God's people, God has never uh, God has never been waiting to make up His mind about His people. Right, and nor can He or will He ever change His mind. And nor will He ever change His mind. I think one of the interesting ways that immutability gets called into question is through people taking developmental approaches to the doctrine of scripture, where it'll be like, well, you know, there was kind of a trajectory in scripture, sometimes called a cultural trajectory hermeneutic, where uh, as scripture is being progressively revealed, things are getting more and more clear uh, over the course of the New Testament, but they're also becoming more and more accurate to what the actual becoming of God is. So, you know, all that stuff in the Old Testament that God had to say about sexuality? Well, by the New Testament, there's a reason it's getting softened up. 
it's not just that the audience is changing, it's that God is becoming more attuned to the needs of his people, or that God in the process of becoming is becoming more accommodating or gracious to the brokenness of the world and the beauty of the world. So I do think one of the interesting places that immutability ends up getting called into question is through the... Uh, kind of like caveating of God's word to be like, well, the God of the Old Testament seems to be really strict. Uh, and some of these standards and laws are not real reflections of the heart of God. Uh, they, they just kind of get weeded out as both God develops and his people mm-hmm. develop. That is a calling into question, not just of inspiration and inerrancy, though certainly those two things as well, but immutability. So. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Another place that I don't know that is traditionally gone to to talk about God's immutability, but it's when God offers his divine name to Moses in the burning bush, when Mm -hmm. he says, I am Mm -hmm. who I am. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that philosophers will do when they call into question God's being is they they say God isn't absolute being, God is becoming. And it's to suggest this idea that God is, is changeable. But if God is becoming, he's either becoming better or he's becoming worse. Mm-hmm. And so it's not I, – I think Jen's primary point about if we call into question God's uh, immutability, we're calling into question his divine decree and his promise yes. to us. And we don't want that to change. Yeah. But in addition to that, if God is becoming, that's to suggest that God is either becoming better or becoming worse. Right. And it calls into question his character. Mm-hmm. And for right. God to be immutable is to say that God is infinitely good. He is perfect in himself. He is joyful as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if God is becoming, it means he isn't good or he could become something better. So when we say God is immutable, we're saying he is the perfect good. So Jen, I'd love for you to help us think about like, what would the contrast of this be? Like maybe it's humans grasping for eternality or if God Mm -hmm. isn't eternal, like why is this good news for us? I think you got to think about, you know, any the saying has been made that anything that elevates the role of man and diminishes the role of God is suspect. And so I think when we think about the his his um, incommunicable attributes, anything that we do to try to diminish them should be a red flag for us. So, um, for example, wanting God to be someone who can change his mind, or um, even looking at God's decrees, like like uh, his law, his moral law, and saying, "Well, it's not binding on us anymore, right?" When, but if it's an expression of his eternal and immutable character, then it it can't not be binding on us in some way, um, and so. So the way that we think about the actions of God in time and 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 pit them against His immutable um, or eternal nature might be revealing something about a desire to to diminish Him. Um, but then, when it comes to us as wanting to self elevate, I mean, you can look all around you in our culture and know that we crave eternality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not supposed to show any signs of aging on my face or I've given up, right? I'm supposed to spend money and time making sure that you can't tell whether I'm a 53-year-old woman or a 26-year-old woman um, because we view um, agelessness as a source of power in our culture, um, that the, the eternal youth is something to be desired and to be mimicked at great expense and at great effort. Um, why? What is that? It's a denial of the effects of time on human beings. Um, not only that, but you know, to be aged is to be irrelevant. Um, and so um, all of that is is us saying, you know what, we should grasp for eternality ourselves or at least pretend mm-hmm. like time is not passing, which is why Psalm 90 is so important, you know, about numbering our days. But then also 
we crave immutability. Um, when we see that there is something in our lives that, or something in our character that has been really hard for us to overcome, we can have a temptation to want to say, that's just who I am. I can't change. We can say it either in right. defeat or in defensiveness, right? Um, and so mm -hmm. there's both a mm -hmm. call to repent if we're defensive about something and a call to rejoice if we're in defeat about something that we are, in fact, changeable and changeable by design and that the promise of uh, salvation to us uh, is that God cannot change and that we can. And, and that, that is good news, that, that He acts on us um, through His Spirit and by the grace of Christ to actually change us. That's good. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, if you want to find Knowing Faith, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So many of you shared our episode on God the Son, and we're so glad that you love that episode. If you enjoy Knowing Faith, go and leave us a review or head over to trainingthechurch.com slash support to find out some other cool stuff that you can get involved with. Don't miss our sister podcast, Confronting Christianity, co-hosted by yours truly and Rebecca McLaughlin. This week, we released an episode asking the question, do Christians oppose diversity? And we had Justin Gibney from the And Campaign as our special guest. It was a great conversation. Go check it out. And our next episode, we will discuss, well, you know what? Let me give you a clue, a hint. <laughs> I'm not going to give you what we are discussing. I'm going to say this. I'm not going to tell you what we are discussing, but God knows. Oh, my gosh. Huh? God knows, because God knows. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there next week. All right. Hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and peace. <laughs>